Hello, I'm Dr. Brian Cole, your host of Sports Medicine Weekly. In today's podcast, we'll be on gymnastics. I will tell you as an orthopedic surgeon, I have been dealing with gymnasts for more than 25 years and it is one of the most competitive, fascinating, and demanding sports that I would say of all the sports I deal with that I see on a pretty regular basis. So with us will be Brad Trumpeter, who's a physical therapist, but also a collegiate level former gymnast. Before we meet with Brad, a few words from our sponsors. The Sports Medicine Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Being your best means always getting better. Whether you're looking to improve performance, relieve chronic back pain, or restore mobility through minimally invasive joint replacement surgery, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush delivers results. Their specialists are top ranked in Illinois and among the nation's best, working together to make your recovery faster, more complete, and a seamless experience. They'll get you back to living pain-free, often without surgery, so you can be your best every day. Schedule an appointment online at rushortho.com. Enhanced Medical Nutrition. Enhanced Medical Nutrition builds clinical nutrition products to help patients prepare better and recover faster. The Ortho Nutrition Bundle is a four-week perioperative nutrition program containing their clinical-grade whey protein isolate and complex carbohydrate powder. Developed in collaboration with internationally renowned nutrition researchers and surgeons, the Ortho Nutrition Bundle is designed to maintain muscle, support wound healing, and improve the recovery experience. To learn more, please visit www.emn.health. Karen Malkin Health Counseling. Have you tried Karen Malkin's new protein brownie bar and superfood bars? They're the best tasting bars on the market. Certified gluten-free, paleo, and no added sugar. Karen's protein brownie bars and superfood bars available on Amazon and at karenmalkin.com. Vericell. Vericell develops, manufactures, and markets autologous cell-based therapies for patients with serious diseases and conditions. For more information about their products, visit www.vcell.com. That's V-C-E-L dot com. You do a lot of listening in your lifetime. You listen to your doctor, your spouse, and this podcast. It's time to listen to your body. At Rush Physical Therapy, our expert therapists can help you get rid of your aches and pains to get you back to what you love. Go to RushPT.com to learn more. Welcome back. Again, I'm Brian Cole, your host of Sports Medicine Weekly. Gymnastics is an incredibly popular sport for both men and women. There are close to 5 million athletes participating in this sport across the United States at all age levels. As one of the first Olympic sports, gymnastics always gains renewed attention during the Olympic Games. The sport requires tremendous mental and physical discipline. Gymnasts have to acquire a positive body image, high self-esteem, and a can-do attitude. The physical benefits include strength, coordination, agility, and fitness. Unfortunately, gymnasts are also very prone to orthopedic injuries. So today I will welcome Brad Trumpeter to the podcast to talk about his gymnastics background, how it led him to choose a career as a physical therapist, the injuries he treats and some of the injuries that he's actually incurred, and how athletes in an incredibly demanding sport return to the sport. Now, Brad Trumpeter, following four years of success in high school gymnastics for Lyons Township, a school that I used to take care of in LaGrange, he earned an athletic scholarship to the University of Illinois at Chicago. He competed on the men's gymnastics team. 
He made his collegiate debut on the still rings at the Windy City in, in, in the Windy City Invitational and earned a number of accolades on both the vault and still rings during his collegiate career. At UIC, Brad, Brad majored in movement science and pre-physical therapy. Today, he is an orthopedic manual physical therapist at Rush PT. He's been practicing since 2010, has completed numerous continuing education courses, including treating and managing various orthopedic conditions, athletic injuries, dry needling, Graston technique, manual therapy, and concussion management. I'm told Brad enjoys working with a wide range of patient populations, and he employs a combination of manual therapy and corrective exercise. So, Brad, I'm really happy to have you on this episode. And uh, just a little bit for our listeners, I think uh, you were actually my patient a couple of years ago. Um, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um- Patching up one of my old gymnastics injuries. So you had, so was your initial injury, if it's okay if I share with our audience, are you okay with that? Yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah, so you started out with a uh, meniscus tear and you had that repaired, is that right? I did, yeah. Repaired it senior year of high school and uh, was good for uh, college and years after that, but uh, just wore out eventually. Yep. So fortunately, you underwent a simple meniscectomy. I'm going to hope and assume that you're doing well. Is that is that the case? If not, we can talk after the show. <laughs> <laughs> Do, doing great. Uh, I'm stronger than I ever have been. Uh, was telling your associate that I got into CrossFit after that. And uh, as gymnasts, you don't really do a whole lot of leg work in terms of lifting. And so I think my legs are as strong as they've ever been. You know, I'll tell you, um, out of all the athletes I deal with, gymnastics is truly the, the most demanding sport. And it's one of the things that, how old were you when you got started at it? Uh, I was like a little bit, I did it when I was eight, but I started a little late for gymnasts. I started when I was 10. Uh, most kids that do well start much earlier than that, like age three to five. Yeah. I would say that um, most of the young people that I deal with, and I I would see even over the last year have seen at least a dozen uh, uh, level eight to 10 gymnasts, uh, many of whom who have uh, Olympic aspirations, don't know if they'll get there. The dynamic is fascinating because it's it's often the uh, parent-child uh, dynamic that presents in the office. And uh, I don't know what it was like when you were growing up. Uh, I guess I would ask, how did you even get introduced to gymnastics? Was it something that was in your family? Did you have a, a parent who was a gymnast when they were younger? Uh, yeah, I did. My, my dad and some of his brothers did high school gymnastics um, out in Elmhurst at York High School. And Illinois is one of the few states that still has high school gymnastics around. But... Uh, yeah, so they, they put me in it when I was younger, and then I didn't really, like, get going into competitive uh, team level until I was around 10, uh, but then trained pretty heavily from that time forward. What When you were that young, what was the training like? I know these, you know, the biggest challenge I have is when I see injuries in gymnastics, um, <clears throat> it's, it's one of the most difficult uh, athletes to get back to sport because, you know, and we could talk a little bit about this, and I hope we do, just, you know, the, the biology that goes into actually healing something, whether it's surgical or non-surgical, and then the tempo with which they get back and the demands they place on their body. When you were that young, you know, 10 years old, what was the training like? Um, initially, it was like three-hour practices, three times a week. Um, but you you rotate events uh, given on a, a, a given day. So maybe you're doing two or three events uh, uh, each practice for a 45-minute rotation. You're doing some stretching in the beginning and then the last bit of practice uh, is usually conditioning every day, some sort of strength training, um, body weight typically. Um, although I think a lot of gymnasts nowadays do incorporate 
some weightlifting um, that as like training has evolved because guys are a lot stronger and doing harder things now than I ever did. But, um, but do you yeah, think so, to that point, do you think you could be as competitive now as, you know, when you look at the young gymnasts today in the terms of the training, the strength condition they do, you think you'd actually be equally competitive? I mean, not at, not pushing 40. No, no, <laughs> but, understood. Uh, but if you think now yeah, that the current training and what you used to do, is it evolve very much? It, it's still mostly skill based, but I, I think it would give you like a ten percent boost if you incorporated some of the strength and conditioning stuff that uh, you see some of the more Olympic level athletes doing. Um, yeah, got it. So you had a couple of injuries yourself. I know you had the meniscus tear; it was repaired, and that's actually when I first met you is when we did a simple meniscus surgery. Um, but you had have you had some other injuries throughout the course of your career? Yeah, I mean, if you name a joint, I've done at least something to it. Um, I had so, a lot of repetitive stuff. Like my first surgery, I had um, like a bone spur on my talus, which is part of your ankle joint for yep. your, your listeners there. Yep. Just lots of um, short landings, we call it in gymnastics. So it's like um, excessive dorsiflexion. And that repetitive loading just led to a bone spur that became very painful. So I had that sanded down. Um if you want to call it that. And then, uh, we've never called it sanded down, but if that's your perception where I'm good with that, that's kind of what we do, <laughs> but that's good. That works. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think there's a, 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 a home Depot style hand sander. You'd involved, be surprised. But, you got to come to the operating room sometime. So what other I, things, what other things did you experience? Uh, I mean, I broke a, a, a metacarpal bone in my hand once I had a bone chip removed from my elbow from a hyperextension injury. Um, you know, shin splints, um, Seaver's disease, which is mm -hmm. like irritation of your growth plate. Yeah. And that's heel. because, and that's a really common thing that we see because so for our listeners, Seaver's disease is a, is where the tendons inserted in the bones and they get really, they get really inflamed. And <clears throat> sometimes it even involves a growth plate. So we see it in skeletally mature kids frequently. It just shows how brutal the sport is. I mean, it, it is, there, as I say, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing that starts at that young of age. Rarely do they, uh, at least the kids that I see, for better or worse, they they rarely multi-specialty sport, right? They're often a single sport, and there's no Correct. break, and they're involved sometimes in more than one club. I mean, it has some of the – I mean, you know, I, I, not being critical, but it has some of the most challenging aspects to keep a young athlete healthy given the demand of the sport. I don't think there's anything like it that starts at that age at that level of intensity. That's, that's correct. Yeah. The, there's no breaks. Um, I mean, as I was thinking about this, preparing for the show, I just thought, well, how could you design a better training regimen? And the skill level that you have to attain is just constantly building. Uh, so you, you know, your training routines leading up to the season, which is typically, um, you know, starting in January and then you have, you know, eight to 10 competitions a year, but then summer comes around and you have to learn all those skills uh, and, and train for that all summer and then incorporate them into a routine. So there really just is no rest period, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, the guys who make it really far just are fortunate enough to, to stay healthy, but, um, it, it's pretty, pretty demanding, like you said, and, uh, you, you need to learn to train smart, uh, not hard, um, which sounds a little bit cliche, but I, I didn't, really learned that in my career. So that's how I ended up being a physical therapist. Do you therapist. think, do you think uh, when these, when do you think it actually becomes an independent process for some of these kids? Like I imagine some of them, they go through cycles where they're 
not engaged, but they're driven to do gymnastics just because, you know, the parents introduce it to them and then they, they may actually be pretty good at it. And then they get coaching and then they're part of clubs and it's their camaraderie. And I have to imagine there's a whole level of variability where the kid is completely plugged in or the parents completely plugged in and they oscillate between I'm interested and I'm not interested. Right. I mean, I have to imagine you had some really interesting, um, you know, friendships as a, as a kid, uh, you know, that you, if you remember back what it was like to be, you know, 10 to 12, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, because it's just such a unique sport to participate in. Yeah. I think, I think it's like any other sport when you're a kid, you just want to be around your friends and your friends happen to be at practice. Um, I personally was really drawn to it and just, um, it just became a bit of an addiction. I just couldn't not do it. But I think some kids are in it because their parents wanted to be, and then it built some structure to their, to their life. But, uh, eventually they develop a, a liking to it and they, they really stick it out. But, um, a lot of people end up quitting in the high school years as it right. becomes a bit more intense, um, or the injuries start to pile up. And, uh, so there's some really talented individuals that just never even try to make it to the the NCAA level or Olympics and beyond because they just kind of get burned out. But uh, yeah, so, you know, being there with your friends is, is one part, but in another, in another way, because you start so young, it's the only thing you really ever know. Um, so right, some kids right. will dabble in other sports and then decide, you know, I, I want to try some other stuff. But for me, it was always my, my passion. And so I, I stuck it through for as, all the way through college, I, I felt quite short of the Olympics, but uh, had a good time. Uh, yeah, I imagine you know it's in, it, it is fascinating because you look at the percentages of young people who get to college, which is you know maybe that's five percent, right? Who play in a, in college or do a right. sport in college, but to get to professional sports or to Olympics, you know that's an entirely different thing. And I see this in our basketball players are coming up through college or going into different leagues and organizations here are baseball players. You know, it's a real privilege to do a sport in college. You know, let's, you know, let's face it. That's an amazing accomplishment. Um, but it's still very, very different when you get down and you whittle it down to those who can stay healthy and still be good enough to get to a, a professional level or, or even Olympic level. You know, it's, it's totally different. Absolutely. It's like exponentially more difficult, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, uh, and all the, the the stars have to align for to make that happen. But, what were your events? Uh, I trained all six of the men's events uh, th- through up to college, but I, I specialized in rings and vaults uh, primarily, um, and uh, occasionally comp- competed on high bar and parallel bars. In, yeah, in college. And are, are men and men and women's gymnastics different in terms of the events? They are. Uh, so in men's gymnastics, there's six events. Uh, so you have floor, pommel, horse, and rings, and then uh, vault, parallel bars, and high bar. Women just have four events. They have um, the floor exercise, which involves music that men's gymnastics does not. Um, the beam, men don't do that. Uh, and uh, the vault, and then the uneven bars, uh, which historically were just the parallel bars, but and they just shifted the levels. But they're quite a different piece of apparatus now to allow for more swinging and um, release moves of the, and things of that nature. I mean, is there any, I'm curious, is there any, what's the genesis behind that? If, you know, in, in modern times, I have to imagine people look at that and say, well, why isn't, you know, why isn't it the same? You know, do, yeah, do you have any I, idea I where, how it all started that way? Uh, I, I guess I'm not quite the gymnastics historian, but yeah. I think as they were doing the skills that you kind of run out of 
difficulty that you can progress. So they're like, well, let's spread the bars out a little bit and then we can do what's called a giant swing, go all the way around. And then you right. can incorporate a, a whole lot of other things. Or during my career, they changed the vaulting table. Um, it used to just be basically a pommel horse without handles. And um, they uh, made it this like tongue shaped looking uh, apparatus that just allowed you to have wider hand placement and you could um, do what's called a block off of the vault, like basically pushing with aggressively with your, your arms to fly that much higher. And, uh, you know, another foot of height gives you that much more time to do another flip or another twist. And the, um, the code of points is forever evolving. Uh, sort of the way to become enshrined as a, a great gymnast is to get a skill named after you because you're the first one to ever do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's no trumpeter gymnastics move, uh, unfortunately, but uh, I had a couple coaches that, that had moves named after themselves. That's and, pretty cool. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. It, so if you look in the, the FIG code of points and you can look up their name and the skill is named after them. So when you hear the Olympic Games and the, the commentators talking and they say Tikachev or you know, uh, a Coleman or things like that. These are moves that, uh, are named after the guys who were the first person to do it in an international competition. So, so is it, so it, it safe to big. say that you as a gymnast, you, what you studied in college, that was, it was a foregone conclusion that you're going to be a physical therapist. Uh, you pretty much. I mean, I had thought about doing some other career paths, but wanted to kind of stick close to sports medicine. Uh, I didn't, I. Uh, quite have the, the stomach for the operating room to do uh, orthopedic surgery and uh, really wanted to stay close to sports medicine. So ended up in physical therapy um, and uh, have loved it ever since. So let's talk a little bit, you know, for our audience, uh, some of the most common injuries that we see uh, in gymnasts, you know, in your experience, and, and you can relate it directly back, I'm sure, to what you, you actually experienced, uh, you know, when you were competing. But what are some of the most common things that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, like a, a lot of sports gymnasts get a lot of ankle sprains. Um, so that, that's pretty common, especially like female gymnasts on beam, um, that sort of thing. Um, men uh, get a lot more uh, shoulder injuries. Um, there's lots of hanging events, lots of strength required. Um, so you, everything from like I separated my AC joint. Um, that's where your collarbone meets uh, your shoulder. Um and uh, there's a lot of wrist injuries, too, from all of the, the weight-bearing activity on your hands. Um, that's both men and women. Um, female gymnast, uh, kind of the more prominent injury that I, I have seen in the clinic um, is uh, what's called a, a spondylolisthesis, yep. uh, where they get um, a little bit of a, a fracture in their, in their back, and the, the vertebra can actually start to slip. It's pretty serious. Uh, so... You have to be very careful with returning them to sport or, you know, it's sometimes very difficult to convince them that they need to take a break. Yeah. The back stuff, the spondylolisthesis, where they maybe have a small, um, you know, slip, if you will, between one vertebral body and another. Sometimes you get these uh, stress fractures. Those are brutal because I think that's some of the hardest things to get an athlete back. Um, I've had a lot of elbow injuries in, in gymnasts. Um, they've, I've had some Tommy John problems in gymnasts, believe it or not. And people do floor vaulting routines. And, um, it sounds like you may have had this problem where you said you had a chip in your elbow. That's typically uh capitellar OCD where there's a cartilage bone problem on the, at the end of the, one of the, the bones at the elbow that has to be removed arthroscopically. Is that what you had? I'm actually not a hundred percent sure at the, at the time I had no anatomical knowledge. Yep. And, uh, yeah. I bet that's what it was uh, though. 
but yeah, it uh, basically there's something in the way I, I was lacking full extension and uh, hurt with supination and extension. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to bet that that's what it was. Um, I recently had a young girl who uh, landed both knees hyperextended and essentially dislocated her left knee, ACL injury, PCL injury, and, and the outside and the inside four ligaments, and then wow. a PCL uh, outer side injury to her other knee at the same time. I, one of the worst injuries I've ever seen. And she's, you know, she must weigh about 85 pounds. So the force that she came down was just so intense that it led to essentially the equivalent of almost dislocating both knees at the same time. So I've got this goal with her. She's been fixed. Just, you know, I think she's somewhere between a level and eight and level nine. She's really good uh, and a lot of potential. And she's young. She's only like 13 or 14 years old. Um, So, you know, keeping our fingers crossed that we get her back. But I, I would say, and I alluded to this before, that the hardest problem I have is the tempo of getting these athletes back to sport. Um, it's not like basketball. I've kind of got my arms around it. Uh, it's not like uh, baseball, uh, football, gymnastics is to get the problem is to get them sport ready. Um, the transition between healed, you know, and then the the mechanical st- stability and and sufficient strength of the things that we fix to then let them transition and not get re-injured. I, I will tell you that it is probably the most difficult decision making that I have as an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, it's uh, just different than any other animal, really, uh, in terms of other sports. So you, you really have to hopefully, you know, they have some coaches that are, are have, you know, sometimes the coaches are pretty good at understanding what the progression should be. But having a, a rehab uh, provider, whether that's their trainer or a therapist that has some knowledge of the sport uh, to be able to introduce, you know, loading of the upper extremities gradually or even just tolerating the, the conditioning that they do. Uh, with like body weight calisthenics and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, introducing, you know, components of each event, but, uh, you know, not going full impact right away, uh, starting with a hang before you, you start tolerating, you know, full giant swings, um, that's, that sort of thing. It can be um, tricky to navigate. And then gymnasts are used to being in pain, so they tend to just keep pushing through it and they're, they don't, recognize when they necessarily need to stop and uh you know some some of the coaches also you know may may not recognize those red flags either but uh it can it can be pretty tricky like you said who who do you think the the best male or female gymnast is of of all time oh man uh well in recent memory i think uh you know Simone Biles, of course, in the on the female side, everybody knows her. Yeah, uh, there was a Japanese guy, Kohei Uchimura, mm-hmm. uh, I believe. Uh, he had like five time. Uh, I think he had like five all around uh, world titles, um, which is pretty hard. It's hard to be, get a world title at any one event, but to be get it on all around, uh, it's pretty incredible. Prior to him, there's a uh, Soviet gymnast, Vitaly Sherbo got six out of a possible eight gold medals in 1992. And I looked up to him huge when I was a kid. (laughs) Did, did, did you ever experience the, the, the so-called twisties during your career or you weren't involved those types of events? I mean, I never had great air sense myself. Uh, I, 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 you do get lost in the air sometimes, but usually it's only like a, a turn or maybe a practice and you come back to it later. Yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to, to say what exactly went on there, but I mean, she was the best of the best there ever was. So something, 
uh, went on. I mean, it's a real mental game sometimes. Um, yeah. Convincing yourself that you can do it and being confident and you can get really hurt if you don't have that confidence isn't there. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, there's been so many young athletes that have brought attention to sort of the, the, the psychological, the mental health side of sports. And Simone obviously was, you know, was key in that, in, in helping us understand that. I will tell you that my job as an orthopedic surgeon, your job as a physical therapist, we've got to be really plugged into um, how our young athletes are, are managing their injury. You know, there's this fear that they're never going to get back. They'll never be the same. There's the fear of getting back, uh, that they'll get, you know, re-injured and, uh, you know, resuming those same motor patterns is pretty brutal for, for some of these young people. So we, you and I have to play psychologists as much as you know, sort of therapist and surgeon or physician. It's, it's an important aspect of what we do. So what, do you have any, uh, closing advice that you can give for our young people, uh, who are uh, doing gymnastics about maybe injury prevention, you know, what, what, what are some of the things that they can do, uh, to keep them, uh, competing? Man, gymnastics is all about basics. So don't skip the basics when you're coming up in gymnastics. Make sure those are perfect. Uh, you know, make sure you have like really good solid handstands and tap swings and uh, listen to your coach there and go through the progressions. Don't try to attempt skills that you're not ready for just because you want to throw it in the routine. It's better to have simple, consistent routines than to try to do uh, really challenging skills poorly. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'd say that that would have gone a long way for me in, yeah. in my career in avoiding injury. And then, you know, if it's not happening that day, don't keep pushing the volume. Cause like we talked about earlier, there's there are a lot of repetitive stress, repetitive stress injuries. Right. So knowing when to dial it back and try it again another day, um, you don't have to do a thousand reps to get it. Well, listen to uh, Brad Trumpeter. Those are words from a veteran. So Thanks for uh, spending your time with me today. And uh, uh, to our Cheers. listeners, uh, uh, Brad works with uh, Rush PT, and uh, I would say he is a go-to uh, for, for virtually any athlete, but he has a unique understanding of what it is uh, to recover from, from injury as a gymnast. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Pleasure. So you've listened to another episode of Sports Medicine Weekly. I'm Dr. Brian Cole, your host, and be sure and tune in weekly to wherever you to wherever you listen to your podcast. Have a great week. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five star review. Make sure to also follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit our website sportsmedicineweekly.com. Net proceeds from Sports Medicine Weekly go to support research at Rush University Medical Center in the Department of Orthopedics. The Sports Medicine Weekly podcast is brought to you by Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Being your best means always getting better. Whether you're looking to improve performance, relieve chronic back pain, or restore mobility through minimally invasive joint replacement surgery, Midwest Orthopedics at Rush delivers results. Their specialists are top ranked in Illinois and among the nation's best, working together to make your recovery faster, more complete, and a seamless experience. They'll get you back to living pain-free, often without surgery, so you can be your best every day. Schedule an appointment online at rushortho.com. JRF Ortho. JRF Ortho partners with orthopedic surgeons to improve the quality of life of patients by enabling them to have an active life through the generous gift of cartilage and ligament transplantation. Please go to jrfortho.org to learn more or sign up to be a tissue donor at donatelife.net.
with over 205 years of combined experience successfully representing victims of personal injury and wrongful death matters, the attorneys of Tomasic, Coton, Kasserman are committed to working for you. Reach them at 312-605-8800 or on the web at tkklaw.com. Karen Malkin Health Counseling. Have you tried Karen Malkin's new protein brownie bar and superfood bars? They're the best tasting bars on the market. Certified gluten-free, paleo, and no added sugar. Karen's protein brownie bars and superfood bars available on Amazon and at karenmalkin.com. You do a lot of listening in your lifetime. You listen to your doctor, your spouse, and this podcast. It's time to listen to your body. At Rush Physical Therapy, our expert therapists can help you get rid of your aches and pains to get you back to what you love. Go to rushpt.com to learn more.